Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Today, we are discussing 1985's Amazing Spider-Man number 271, also known as Whatever Happened to Crusher Hogan. This one was written by the legendary Tom DeFalco. Uh, his frequent collaborator, Ron Friends, was the penciler. Finished art was by Joseph Rubenstein. Uh, it was lettered by Joe Rosen and colored by Nell Yomtov. Matt, where can our dear, dear listeners find this comic? You can get as much Crusher Hogan goodness as you'd like, because this issue, like most other amazing Spider-Man issues, are readily available online. It's part of Marvel Unlimited. It's part of that Comixology service. Or you could just grab it on Comixology for two buckaroos. You could snag a copy from your online retailer for around the price of a modern comic, depending on condition. Uh, shipping to certain areas might apply. And to my best ability, this issue has not been collected in a trade, as far as we know. But feel free to write in correct if you know for a fact that it is. And I'm pretty sure just through those like essential collections and whatnot. No? Nope. Essential Essentials ends right around this time. And the last issue or the last collection is dumb expensive. It's a hundred bucks for uh, volume 10, which uh has some robert or roger stern stuff and some ron friend stuff so I, I think it's around this era is when the essential uh collection kind of falls off we had this conversation when we were deeming whether or not this was uh underground enough to be untold right yes yeah well because like, whatever happened to crusher hogan is you know not not to just jump straight into it is is kind of like that uh, that one story that everyone has in their back pocket, like oh you haven't oh there's this great Spider-Man story. It's called Whatever Happened to Crusher Hogan. It, it's it's that one. It's it's <clears throat> under the radar for your uh, casual fans, but uh, oh, to man. all the true uh, Spider-Man fans, it's uh, it's one of those ones that's I think a little bit more well known. I mean, I definitely heard of it a bit more before you know other issues in or around this area, but. I, the truth is, you know, we couldn't bring in that first appearance of Crusher Hogan for some reason. Mark and Dan said that was just off the table. Look, all I'm saying is that Amazing Fantasy, I mean, they haven't published that in decades. I mean, that's pretty obscure, I think. That's not true. Matt, the early 2000s was almost two decades ago. <laughs> I don't want to hear that, okay? <laughs> There there was a second volume of Amazing Fantasy that debuted around the early 2000s and gave us uh, Aranya. Um, anyway, we, we've gone off topic again. Um, Not really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, look for some talk about some Amazing Fantasy someday soon. But I, I think we should jump into kind of the space Spider-Man was in at the time this came out. Uh, is there anything around this you want to point out, you know, from the wonderful year of 1985 for Amazing Spider-Man 271? 
So for for the context kind of uh, surrounding this issue, there's there's a very little known story. Uh, it was published a long time ago in the early 60s called Amazing Fantasy number 15. I don't think any of you guys have heard about it, but it features this wrestler named Crusher Hogan and his sound defeat by the ne'er-do-well later known as Spider-Man. Absolute threat, absolute menace. <laughs> um, joking aside, there are a few other things going on with this book. Aunt May is currently uh, entangled with a man known as Nathan Lebesky, who has a gambling issue. Um, we are in the middle of Secret Wars 2, which plays in like just a minor, minor beat. Um, this is, I believe, a few issues before the wedding, actually. Like, this is right before the wedding's coming into play. So, there, there's a little bit of Mary Jane in this one. But other than that, this is a pretty well self-contained story that as long as you're just familiar with, you know, Crusher Hogan and any of his forms, be it the Tobey Maguire Man movie um the ultimate version um you know it's that that's all you need but unlike those versions this is one of the few times where you get uh crusher post that fateful night right so we're, we're getting a little follow-up which i think is fun i i think that's a great inclusion where he's a character we just don't see enough of <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. So, so jumping straight in, we get Ron Friends doing just a fantastic Steve Ditko impersonation and recreating those those pages uh, or the panels rather of Spider Man in the kind of makeshift costume fighting Crusher Hogan, and then we get some like some little additions where you know after their fight. Spider-Man apologizes for being so rough on Crusher Hogan and Crusher Hogan says like, oh, no, it's no deal. Why don't why don't I teach you how to use these amazing abilities? And so we see Crusher Hogan juggling Spider-Man. I think that's what's going on in this panel. I'm not I'm not quite sure. And teaching him how to use a web shooter that that Crusher Hogan came up with and and giving Spider-Man his first costume. You know, all these things have been established by Spider-Man history. Right. Uh, It it took me through when I read this because I thought this was some weird retcon that never took or something. Yeah, yeah. I was like the first page. I'm like, DeFalco, you mad lad. What are you doing? (laughs) But but it's very quickly revealed that this is a tall tale that Crusher Hogan, who's now kind of like a washed up janitor at a boxing gym, tells to pretty much anyone who will listen. And there's only one person who will listen, and that's uh, the young uh, up-and-comer Bobby Chance, uh, who is kind of Crusher's only real friend. Uh, Right. And who this Chance fella is being harassed by manslaughter our our mayhem guy from the cover who's a brick house who walks around with brass knuckles all day right like you know this guy's trouble because not only does he wear a purple tinted black leather suit um but yeah 
just wanders around with brass knuckles, you know, like you do in polite society. Um, hey, that's how he eats his hamburgers too, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the the stakes are pretty well established and quickly established where manslaughter says that, you know, he is an ex-boxer who was uh, the boxing equivalent of disbarred uh, for being too rough in the ring. He pops the speed bag that uh, Bobby Chance is using and, you know, intimidates him because Chance is talking about signing up with a different, uh, you know, a different boxing gym which means something i suppose if you're into boxing um (laughs) but i mean you don't really have to understand the implications of this all you have to understand is that chance wants to leave and manslaughter doesn't want him to leave and is intimidating him because of this uh that quickly transitions to a next the next scene where we see that manslaughter is taking orders from madam fang who is you know, this is her only appearance. Yeah, this is her only appearance, but she's just your stereotypical, you know, evil Chinese lady. You know, it's this is a yellow panic character in the 80s, which is a little weird. Yeah, um, it's, it's a little late in the ball game to be doing stuff like this. But, you know, what can you do? What can you say? Um you know, uh, anyway, uh, not not a character that I think would fly these days. But anyway, uh, Crusher Hogan overhears Manslaughter and Madam Fang's machinations. And then Manslaughter then intimidates Crusher Hogan and says, like, were you spying on us? You better not be spying on us. You didn't hear us, you know, hear a word of what we said because they basically plotted to kill kill Bobby Chance if he tries to leave, or at least permanently maim him. Um, and th- that's where the story really picks up, because we we follow Crusher Hogan back, and he's, he's ruminating over this. He's like, I really need to say something to Bobby. He's the only person who's nice to me. Uh, he's my friend, but, like, manslaughter's gonna kill me. And then we, we walk into his apartment, and basically Hogan says, what would Spider-Man do? And we see his apartment is just covered in Spider-Man posters, Spider-Man masks. Uh, he's got red and blue clothes everywhere. This guy is just a total Spider-Man fanboy. And that's where, like, that, that's where the real interesting angle of this comic comes in. What, what, what did you think about this, Matt? I mean, this panel made me think of the kid who collects Spider-Man. Like, it's all over. It's pretty crazy. And Also written by friends. And uh, this really said something to me. Like, this is storytelling through the art, which is amazing. Like, you know, what would Spider-Man do? But you see, this guy has become obsessed. Like, that night changed him. And coming out of that, like, you can kind of see, like, he was obsessed with it. And he sees all this potential or what have you. Or he sees his connection to it. But to everyone else, he's just kind of a loser because he's caught up on that one night and he's not really moving forward at the same time. So it's this whole it's this whole backstory being filled in with just enough information for you to connect the dots. It's really kind of a masterstroke. Yeah, I, I mean, n- not to overblow it, but yeah, you're right. A master like this is 
fantastic visual storytelling. And I mean, it, it's 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 what I've come to expect from Ron's Ron, uh, you know, Ron Friends and DeFalco working together. And, you know, whenever you get these two guys together, they produce gold. Um, you know, it's just one after another. And this is like, oh, my God, uh, just looking at the scene. It's just. Man, <laughs> you're right though. Like it, it, there, there are some like almost like elements of the kid who collects Spider-Man in this. Just in that, Spider-Man represents something to these people who, you know, in Crusher's Crusher's stance are you know downtrodden and kid who collects. You know, Spider-Man is is an escape, and it's it just it's great to see what spider-man means to maybe the common folk because so often uh we get like in the the episode we did prior or the one before that where um spider-man wrecks the 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 four-wheeler and causes the the pile up and the guy you know i think i called him the hungry man was like and now i gotta wait in traffic five more hours damn you spider-man and so like you know we get established over and over and over again the the um spider-man as a menace so it it really it's really just a great thing to see the people who really look up to spider-man right and in that we we have this great moment with crusher hogan where it's kind of tipped to spider-man the story that he's been spending all these years uh in that he helped train spider-man and spider-man for a second is like wait what no and then he realizes like how big it is and you know split section but it's a it's a frame hop for us in the comic and he lets him have it you know like he's a good guy he's trying to do his best sure let's, let's let him win this one and just the difference it makes for Crusher in his little in his little community in his little boxing ring, it it's his life, and so he he gets to live happy so far as we know. Right, but which yeah, that, you're getting a little ahead of yourself right there though, because we we still haven't gotten to that point. But it's uh, it's a good point though. It's, it's a good point that you make. So once once we finish with that, we kind of check in with Spider Man, and uh, you know he's. He's in his new apartment. He has an issue where he's trying to get in through the streetlight, or I'm sorry, the skylights, but he can't because there are women sunbathing up there. So we get, you know, some classic Spider-Man ingenuity where he creates web bats, you know, which attack the sunbathers in the middle of the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, classic Spider-Man stuff. Uh, and then, you know, then we get our, our requisite, uh, see secret wars number two and web of Spider-Man number six for the details on this one. True believers. So, you know, Spider-Man's got this golden, uh, golden notepad that the beyonder has left behind essentially and kind of looks at it and, you know, wonders like, Oh, I could turn this in and all my money problems would be gone. Um, it doesn't really play much else into the issue at all. MJ sees it as she comes in to say hi to Peter and ask if he wants to go shopping with her. Um, and that's just about it. <laughs> um, but the, and, and so that, that's kind of like the C plot is that Peter and MJ go shopping and, 
it, it leads into some Kingsley stuff that's going to eventually play out with the Hobgoblin stuff, but that's neither here nor there. The, the what stuff that's really bears into this issue is the stuff with Nathan Lebesky. So like I said, in the context, he's got a bit of a gambling problem and he's already in a wheelchair, um, but he gets a telephone call and it's his his boys saying that you Lebensky, how are the legs? And essentially tells him that like he it's time for him to pay up and they're gonna have to meet in person and discuss the score. And Aunt May clearly gets concerned because Lebesky gets standoffish and calls up her darling, darling nephew Peter, who's always out there looking out for her, to kind of keep an eye on Lebesky. Um, which causes some issue with Peter at the bugle because, of course, it does. But this time, uh, this eventually, all this threads through the Crusher Hogan. Hogan, I don't know why I keep saying Hogan, but uh, the Crusher Hogan story, where you know it goes down between uh, Bobby Chance and uh, Manslaughter, and Hogan jumps in. Decide, you know, he decides it's time. Or well. It's time to step up. It's time to step up. So he goes to tell Bobby what's going to happen, but it's too late. Manslaughter's already there with some goons. And, you know, Hogan, they, they tell Hogan to get lost. And, yeah, like you said, it's, he decides it's time to stand up and starts going after a gunman with a broom, which the co-jones on this man. <laughs> um but the gunshot attracts Spider-Man's attention and he comes in and kind of and pretty pretty handily like you know cleans up which then leads again to the scene that you are alluding to where Hogan's you know kind of like thanks Spider-Man um you know and Bobby Chance says, wow, like all those stories you told were real. You really did teach. So like you really are Spider-Man's friend. You really did teach him all that stuff. And and like you said, Pete's Pete's like, OK, yeah, what the heck? I'll, I'll play along with it. Like, I'll, and it's just it's a great scene. Um, but it, what got me at that scene at the at the time when I was reading this the first time through was I was like, oh, no, no, no. that They were trying to do a dumb retcon. That was his perspective, and this is it playing through and Spider-Man letting him have it. Mm -hmm. Like, it it went from kind of being like, where are we going, to this really heartfelt moment, which put me on pins and needles in a way comics rarely have when I read them. So Mm -hmm. that was a a thrill. (laughs) Well, you know, we couldn't couldn't really have this heartwarming moment in a Spider-Man comic without horrible tragedy. So because Spider-Man went to go deal with this gunshot he heard, he lost the tail he had on Lebesky, who kind of gets out of the taxi at this random alleyway, rolls up into it, and was like, hey guys, I was here to discuss this gambling uh, debt I have with you guys. Clearly nothing bad is going to happen to me. Uh, Just give me some more time. And of course, they grab him, and then we pull out, and all we see is the letterer wrote, Don't! Um, and then we learn the next day that Levesky has been hospitalized, and Aunt May blames Peter, but really, like, it's. She puts him on a guilt trip, something severe. Um, you know, she says he's in the hospital, he was beaten severely. 
And so, like, I thought you were going to keep an eye on him. Uh, but, you know, don't give me don't give me excuses. I only realized that you were humoring me. You've got your own life and the fears of a silly old woman just don't aren't important to that. And just like, damn, May, twist the knife. Um, what kills me about this the most is her perspective of Peter is this frail, you know, young man. What did she expect him to do? <laughs> Right, like, it's, you know, it makes sense from our perspective, because, like, yeah, he's Spider-Man, he can handle these guys no problem, but you're right, Aunt May, at this point, just, like, Peter is a shy, well, I guess he's not as shy anymore, but just, like, kind of, like, a frail, mild-mannered kind of guy who's got a lot on his plate, like, was she, like, yeah, it's just, and like she just like 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 I said earlier, like it seems almost uncharacter uncharacteristically cruel and manipulative of her the the way she kind of like chides him about this, um, which I mean she has every right to be disappointed, but I've just I've never seen like venom in Aunt May like this before. Don't don't make that dirty. Yeah, no, I mean this just. <laughs> I couldn't see Marissa Tomei doing this part, you know? Yeah. Just doesn't feel like Aunt May. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, that, that's the end of the issue. We we end with Spider-Man saying, or Peter thinking, is this the price I must always pay for being dot, 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 Spider-Man? Uh, emphasis there's. <laughs> um, yeah, but okay. So like a fun little issue ends on a little bit of a downer but like i mean that, that's that's spider-man um where you know we get the drama we get the highs and the lows um did you have any any you know final final points to make about this one this is a little short one and done yeah no i mean you just have to appreciate the restraint on that we're not getting two dot ja issues to build into the rise of the the noble janitor and whatnot, you know, this was just a story played through and finished. And I think there's something to that in this era of Spider-Man that's so charming right now to me. And this is just an issue that if you haven't, I highly recommend you go check out. Right, for sure. So with that, uh, where is this one going to fall on our uh, on our list of uh, web of rankings? Um, I, I think just from your glowing recommendation there... I can say it's safe to say that it goes above our pumping up line. Yeah. All right. Uh, I was I was also thinking above the pumping up line. Um, maybe I, I don't know. Uh, probably above Identity Crisis, which is the one directly above uh, pumping up. And then the next would be the that spectacular one one twelve, the the Christmas one with uh, the Santa with the gun on the front cover. And then that's a good cover. It's a great cover. Uh, the, the cover for this one, not spectacular. Didn't really do a great job. Would not call it amazing. Nor would I call it web of. Um, <laughs> but so I'm, I'm thinking somewhere around around there, though, because above that, we've got Spirits of the Earth, which I mean, this is a good issue. This is a fun issue. But Spirits of the Earth has just a production to it that I think really elevates it above this. Um, the story in this might be a little bit stronger, but just like those production elements in, in Spheres of the Earth, I think they're just fantastic. And then above Spheres of the Earth is Kimia's Castle, which this is a great story, but this, this does not trump Kimia's Castle in my book. How about yours? No, I, I think you got it about right. I, uh, I think this is a good solid issue, but it, it's a good 
solid fun issue that stands mm-hmm. out, but it's not uh, heads and shoulders above certain other special elements. So like that Spirits of the Earth is just maybe a hair above. So I'd put it right under. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that sounds good. So we're going to put it that right there. Uh, so we've got this. That makes it our new number. One, 13. two, three, 13. Lucky number 13. Awesome. We promise you soon we'll get this list up so you guys can actually look at it. Don't promise them <laughs> things you can't deliver. <laughs> Speaking of things we are delivering, we'd like to thank everyone for tuning into the show uh if you'd like to support our show get exclusive reviews of modern spider-man comic books uh commission artwork from spider-man artists past and present as well as access to our members only section in our slack community check out our patreon the amazing spider talk patreon which is only partially ours. Uh, so on top of getting all of our exclusive content, you'll also be getting the content of the amazing Spider Talk. That's a twofer. You got to be a real villain to pass up an opportunity like that. Uh, and you can always check out the show notes for links to that Patreon. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell our dear listeners what's up next on this Crusher Hogan block? Uh, We're crushing the block. Wow. All right, so next up is 2008's Spider-Man with Great Power. That's it. Um, it's a mini series. Yeah, it's it's a mini. It's not often talked about, and it's a uh, it's a bit of a ride. And after that, we're going a little earlier, but to something possibly even greater with Tangled Web number 14, as alluded to earlier in this podcast. And we hope you stick around for that conclusion of the Crusher Hogan block. <laughs> All right. And uh, special thanks to the Ellie Batch for providing our theme song. If, Like always, if you want to listen to more from them, uh, check out the show notes for uh, links there. Um, and... Until I meet up with some of my friends in an alleyway for a friendly discussion on some money I owe them. Make mine untold. Wait, what's that lead pipe for?